Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. We have merch. Check out the AmericanGlutton.net shop. We've got t shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. A number of people have come up to me wearing American Glutton merch, and nothing fills my heart with more pride than seeing somebody in one of these t shirts. And I've been stopped on the street and asked where to get it when somebody sees me in an American Glutton hoodie. Well, you can get it all at the shop on AmericanGlutton.net. And my favorite t shirt, yesterday it was tomorrow, right now, is up now. Get it while supplies last. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment, food as sport, food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying this show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today I'm talking to Dave Mannheim of The Dopey Podcast. You can find him on Instagram at Dopey Podcast and listen to his podcast. I've been on it. Dopey is great. Dave Mannheim, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you, Ethan. I'm so excited to be here. Such an honor and privilege. Thanks for you. doing this, man. You've um you are the host of the Dopey Podcast. I've been on your podcast. I think, I think, uh, I think it's funny because my first question to you when I did the podcast was like, what a bit of altruism uh is within you that you're doing this? And you were like, no, it's for a laugh. For, for entertainment yeah it's funny i i don't even know you know it's like it's 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 i've been thinking a lot about it since you asked me the question i think i've always insulated myself from being a do-gooder uh i i do it because i'm a half do-gooder half fame whore yeah you listen know? i don't accept your answer like you give me that answer and to me i read Okay, the guy doesn't want me to know that he's doing good, but he's still doing good. 
But it's like, you know, you know, these new products, like these ice creams that hide vegetables in the ice cream or like, like I, I give my kids muffins that are like secretly made of zucchini. Yeah. That's what Dopey's like. Dopey right. has goodness hidden, hidden in its hardness of it. So how did what t- take me down the path of how you started Dopey? What is your what is your first? I'm going to out you. You're sober. You, yes. you You talk about this on your podcast, so it's not too much of an outing, but. I'd love to know. I'd love to know your story. I would love to tell you my story. But did you know that we just put up a clip of you and I talking, and it almost has two million views on TikTok? I didn't two know million. That. Jesus, I know it's a lot. Do you, do you, um, okay, let me ask you this because I don't have. I, I actually do have a TikTok account that um, has like maybe twenty followers. My kid said you have to have a TikTok account. And I went on it one day and tried to do it. And it was way too confusing. It really is built for the kids. Like once I, I'm a, I have pure boomer energy. And so once I learn something like I'm done, I'm not going to learn a new thing like tip, like Snapchat and TikTok and all of this. Um, But from what I understand, TikTok is better at circulating stuff than Instagram. Is that correct? I I'm like you. I, I I don't know how to do anything. There's a, a woman. Her name is Claire. She's a big dopey fan, and she wrote me like a year ago, and she's like, "Can I be your intern?" And I was like, "Definitely." And then she like took over our Instagram, doubled the followers. Start. She just set up. She's like, "I had a TikTok account which was horrible. No, like it was terrible." She's like, "You have to delete your account." She's like, "I'm making a nice account now." I call. She now she's the associate producer of the show. She's 21. She lives in Germany, and she posted the vid- these videos and you're. Your video did two almost two million views, which is more way more than anybody else's. So I want to thank you for that. That's awesome. Thank you. Get, we're getting this story out there. Yes, my story is: uh, I grew up in New York City. Uh, I was the son of two Jewish middle class teachers, and uh, I wound up becoming a heroin addict. You know, and I mean for a long time. You know, I was, I was on heroin and methadone and, and weed and, and benzos for, I was on weed for, I don't know, like I'm terrible at math, but I want to say 25 years, like daily, (laughs) some crazy number. I was on heroin for many, many years and benzos many, many years. And I couldn't, I didn't want to stop anything. This is the the abridged history of dopey story. And then you can, you can, you can, you can jump in whenever you want and, when I was a kid, I wanted to have a TV show. I wanted to have a talk show. That was like my big fantasy. And I wound up with a little show in my 20s on on Broadway video. And then it turned into a little show on MTV2. I'd actually been on MTV in, when I was in high school. I was an intern and I wound up getting an on-air gig. But as soon as I was a professional TV person, I became a heroin addict. Yeah. And, and I kind of stopped working for a million years. And um, like I was an able, I had a girlfriend who took care of me and I wound up. Was she, uh, was she using also? She was a stoner, but she wasn't like, she, she was, her life was relatively manageable besides me. You and, know? and she was aware of everything you were doing. Yeah. Very aware. She was right. very aware of it. She was actually, it, it gets very tawdry and horrible. She was my b- very best friend's girlfriend. And that's something that I never like thought that I was capable of doing. This was a kid 
who I met him when I was four. And when we were in our mid twenties, he had brought his stoner girlfriend back and he didn't smoke weed. And I decided that me and her had a lot in common. So we should have sex. And as soon as we had sex, I was like, you need to leave him and be with me because I couldn't live with the guilt of of having betrayed him. And she did. And um, me and the guy didn't talk for a million years. And I and I I think there was a, a lot of guilt and shame around that. Yeah. That kept me using a long time. Is there is there something, Dave? And I, I want to ask you this because and, and I think about it like the the analogy that jumps into my head immediately is like. I was it, it was never my situation, really. But I have seen instances of like people that are so heavy, they don't leave their couch, like literally. And um, and in those instances, I just got to think like, well, somebody is feeding them. Somebody's going to the store or somebody's, you, you know, like, yeah, like worst case scenario, they're on welfare. Welfare is not enough money to keep you at 700 pounds, 800 pounds, right? Sedentary. So somebody is there bringing you food. And, and when you, when you say your girlfriend was a stoner, but like not shooting dope and like just completely taking care of you, that's what that looks like to me. Cause it's it's an odd thing for somebody to not be using dope and totally fine with somebody using dope like that. I bet you she wouldn't love that I said that she was totally fine with me using it, but she didn't leave. She didn't <laughs> leave. I mean, was she pleading with you regularly to stop? She was really very smart. And I and I just I don't think she was gonna waste her time pleading with me. I right. think I I struggled and I did not enjoy, didn't enjoy addiction. I didn't enjoy being totally dependent on opiates, methadone, benzos, all of it. But um, I, I don't know why she stuck it out. You know, I think it's like a codependency story. It's like a, a sex and love anonymous story or a coda story or an Al-Anon story where like we get hooked on someone else's need of us or whatever. And I don't think it was a one way street and 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 I don't want to like paint a picture of her in any kind of negative light because she was just she's a very the funniest thing about about her was that she we broke up and like within like 10 years, she was so on her. I think she retired before she was 48 or something and she hadn't worked. She just like went into superstar success as soon as she left me and my and my best friend who I'd betrayed wound up becoming like a doctor who works with amputees and he has a good life now. So, and that just assuages my guilt a tiny bit. Sure. Um, but the story, I'm not, I'm not trying to pin the blame on her. I'm, I, I, I know where the responsibility lies. I just think that, 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 that it is, um, it, it is an interesting predicament we can get into. Like I often worry that I'm utterly codependent on my wife and like go out of my way to try to break that. Like, what can I do by myself? You know what I mean? What awkward social situation can I survive without her? How much time, you know, uh, but she's not buying me dope or. I would imagine from my, from the time I've spent with you, from listening to you that you are in a state of interdependence with your wife. Yeah, I think so too. 
I would imagine that. And then I was thinking when I was with my ex, we lived in uh, Echo Park in California and, and I was such an American glutton at that point in my life. I was like the I, I was the heroin addict who eats, you know what I mean? Like all I would do, I would like eat an Entenmann's cake for breakfast and an Entenmann's cake for dinner and maybe a healthy lunch in between. And my hobby when I was bored is I would go into the couch to find change and I'd walk down the hill and I'd buy ice cream sandwiches and I might eat six ice cream sandwiches in a day. Sure. I was, I was so, oh, and vanilla chocolate chip and chocolate chocolate chip Haagen-Dazs. I was like crazy about eating dessert all day on heroin. So it was, it was my most gl- food gluttonous period was that yeah. time. Yeah. It's, I think that, that, that was for sure mine too. There was just no thought to quantities or types of food. I feel like prior to me becoming a, a drug addict, I, I had a little bit of thought there would something be lingering in the back of my head of like, you don't need four cheeseburgers. And once once the i was doing drugs i just it would if the thought occurred to me i di- i followed the thought it's amazing like what happens like the, the 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 rules or the lines i'm on a terrible streak right now this halloween business like halloween is still looming large in my house we did an event to op- my my podcast did an event at the beginning of october so before the beginning of October, I was like trying not to eat too much, not to eat too much dessert, to, you know, exercise and and really just cut down my my sweet intake and my carbohydrate intake because I was was doing this big show. October 7th came and went, and then I just have been eating like everything in sight. Like the wheels have come off and and I've I just downloaded an app from couch to 5k. Okay. And I'm determined to un to just get out of this gluttonous post DopeyCon was DopeyCon. And I expect to see you at DopeyCon five, Ethan Suple. When is I it want- where it's next year in New York? October in New York. You would be an incredible addition to our, our show. It's it's a it's a show like on a stage. Yeah. Yeah. With lots yeah, of you're like, I don't want to be on stage. I don't want to be people staring at you. It sounds yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. You're invited to come. You don't have to. I might come and watch. I bet it's a, an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. DopeyCon. This year was DopeyCon IV. And it was, uh, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. That so. is awesome. Anyway. Um, okay. So she, she leaves. Wait, where were we? She leaves. I don't know why I started telling. I wanted to tell that story just because it was a gluttonous period. Right. And also, um, I don't know why that popped up when I was answering the question of the history of, of our show, but I just started there. Um, the history of our show was after years and years and years of addiction. Uh, I guess this is the point. I, I moved home. My mother was dying and I met this woman, another woman, and she got pregnant. Were you, and, you weren't sober yet? No, I was right. not. Sober. I'd gotten off of methadone in, in Los Angeles, but I was not sober. So once we had this baby, I wanted to get sober way more, but I wasn't getting sober. And I didn't tell my daughter's mother that I had started using 
heroin again. I, I had stopped using methadone. I had stopped using heroin. I had stopped taking benzos, but I was still smoking weed. And um, when she got pregnant, I had a, a mutual friend of ours decided that that was a good time to start coming by with heroin for some reason, which, you know, I don't know why he thought that would be a, a good idea. Because looking back, it was really terrible. He's um, got a lot of stress. Maybe some of this will take the edge off. At the time, I remember being very grateful that he decided that this would be a good time for me to to use with him because I did love using with him. Sure. But my wife caught me uh, with a needle in my lap and she left uh, with our baby, six-month-old baby. And I went to treatment. And I met this guy at treatment named Chris and, and Chris and I like told them, you know, we did what you do at treatment. You told, tell each other stupid stories and whatever. And I work at Katz's Deli in Manhattan. And I had, I had worked there for a couple of years, like a slave, like hating my life. And um, I started waiting tables there and maybe I got a year clean and I started smoking weed again. And um and my little fame whore thing, or my, I mean, you can call it fame whore or, or just being wanting to be creative. You know what I mean? Like being creative. I wanted to make a show at Katz's. So I made a show at Katz's called The Last Jewish Waiter, um, which is that, which is that uh, Grateful Dead inspired painting. And it was about a waiter who hates waiting tables um, and wants to have a talk show. So he does a talk show while he waits tables. And it was like got written about and, and it seemed like a really seemed like a really good idea at the time. But I was still smoking weed. I was once in a while taking pills. I was desperate to get my family back, but they were not interested in being with me. And then my daughter's mother was like, we can go on a trip together. And she didn't know, she knew I was smoking weed, but she didn't know that I would take pills occasionally. We went on a trip together and we went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is Pennsylvania, Dutch country, Amish country. And yeah. we were going to go to a place called uh, Dutch Wonderland, which is a really like sad version of Disney World. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, I've, I've been there. They have amazing furniture, like great rocking chairs and amazing fried chicken. They call it something else. I think they call it roasted chicken, but it's fantastic. I don't think I ever had the fried. Ch I feel like I really missed out. You did. It's it's incredible. What's it called? Broasted, which is weird. It's a weird word, broasted. But I would see these signs and I would think nothing of it because when I was there, I was eating like garbage and broasted to me just sounded like roasted. And, you know, you can buy a roasted chicken in pretty much any grocery store nowadays. But then. Somebody was like, no, no, roasted is fried. I don't know how they cook it, but it's battered and crispy and wonderful. Wonder why it's called roasted. It's like what the bro roasts it, so it's fried. I know. It doesn't so, no, the word does not work for me either, but it, they make it good. Man, I, I we were just there. I wish I had known. I would have totally that's on I just wrote down roasted just so I could make a yeah. mental note. Yeah. Anyway, we were there. She found she 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 brought Xanax for herself to help her sleep. She like takes a tiny bit of a pill to sleep. I stole it, took it. She found out, went berserk. Um, and I lost custody again. I had lost custody when she found me with the needle and I had lost it again after years of just trying to 
create a family, you know, not, I mean, just in my head, like, oh my God, I have this beautiful woman and this beautiful child that's ours. And I can't believe I'm such a fuck up that I, I'm, I'm losing this opportunity. And when that happened, I was just like, oh, the shame, all the years of using kind of culminated in that shameful moment. And I was like, I got to get sober. And I reached out to Chris and Chris had relapsed a hundred times since I had met him uh, in treatment. And now he had a, I think he had a year and a half. It was the summer of 2015. And I started talking to him every day and he's like, go to AA. And I was like, okay. So I went to AA and um, I started committing myself to it. Like, and I never thought I was going to do that. I never even drank. I just needed some kind of spiritual solution. I was totally fucked. And Chris was like, you know, I really loved the last Jewish waiter. And I was like, yeah, me too. I love, I love the last Jewish waiter. And he's like, well, I would love to do something like that with you. And I was like, what do you do? You know? And, and meanwhile, Chris writes articles and he's a brilliant storyteller. And then I thought about it and he had the funniest drug stories I had ever heard when we were in treatment together. And I was like, you know what? I had another friend while I was really high. He was like, we should start a podcast about the worst drug stories ever. And I was like, what's a podcast, you know? And, um, and I, and I was like, uh, I don't, I didn't understand it. And then his idea came back to me and I said to Chris, we should start a podcast about the worst drug stories ever. And Chris was like, what's a podcast? I was like, just come to my house and we'll do it. And, uh, he came to my house. I had four months. He had almost two years clean. We sat in front of a MacBook Pro. We had no gear. We talked into the mic on the laptop and, and we recorded an episode. And then I was like, let's just, and we agreed that we were going to do one every week and that we were going to tell it was going to be dopey on drugs, addiction and dumb shit. And it was just going to be dumb fucked up using stories. And after the first episode, we kind of decided that uh, people needed to know that we were sober <laughs> or else, else it would just seem like we were, we were glorifying drug use. And, and within a very short time, like we didn't have a shit ton of audience or anything, but we had a, a little audience and we had people writing us and people saying that, that they felt like they were less alone. And when you ask me the altruistic aspect of dopey, it's it's like people felt less alone, but I knew that meant it was a decent show. So it's hard for me to say, right? You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. I know. I know what you're saying. I, you know, if like there, I, I, you know, it gets very complicated. Like we could go down into like Ayn Randian objectivism and say like all altruism is self yeah, yeah, fulfilling, yeah. right? I like that kind of talk. Yeah, I I feel better when I contribute to other people. Would you contribute to other people if it made you feel lousy? Probably not. You know, if you That's weren't a great, great question and answer to question. Yeah, if if I, I'm so, you know, I do think like talking at a meeting or having a conversation with you right now. Hopefully somebody gets something out of it. Hopefully they can relate to it or they can go like, God, I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And 
these guys beat it and maybe I can learn something from them. And that's helpful. That's what I'm hopeful of. But there is also something to keeping me on the track that I need to be on. Do do you know what I'm saying? Like, so there is that selfishness where I'm like, I'm talking to you right now, partially because it keeps me centered in my mission. Right. And, 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 and I think you, you're more comfortable in, in having a mission. I think, I think I am too. I think I have this weird need to be like, I don't care. And it doesn't mean anything. And, but you know, and it's not even, I don't even know what's real anymore, but, but I know that the, that I tell people all the time, call somebody and, and it, and you don't need to need, you don't need to want to talk to them, but just know that if you do, you're going to feel better. They're going to feel better. But the real prime objective objective to any drug addict is to not think about themselves. Right. So if they can think about somebody else for a period of time, it's going to undo a lot of the crazy obsessive pressure that we tend to put upon ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and I think that's the key of having a conversation with another person and and listening and allowing them to speak is it draws you out of yourself. And I think Dopey, the reason that people really liked it, it was for the people that went to meetings and felt uncomfortable at meetings. It was it was like half of the half of Dopey was making fun of uh, AA. You know, half of Dopey was like how uncomfortable it was to be in a twelve step spiritual program, yeah. and then the other half was like like times you'd shoot up and your needle would break or something, you know, it was just like, whatever, you know? And, uh, and, and the audience started to participate. The audience started to send in stories, which we loved. And, uh, you know, I made a joke and said, stay strong, dopey nation. And then all of a sudden dopey nation existed. Um, we made, we had some tattoo artists come on the show and we were like, would you give a free dopey tattoo to somebody who wants it? And they were like, yeah, and this girl goes to get the tattoo and she was so fucked up when she went to get the tattoo. He was like, you guys have to pay for this. <laughs> so we wound up paying for it. But that was the first dopey tattoo. And then like since then, I think like 50 people have dopey tattoos. Which oh, wow. Is incredible. Eight people got dopey tat- dope, dopey heads tattooed on them at DopeyCon. It was incredible. That's amazing. But, but so... The show, like, whatever, it was like a little culty, you know, it was like a a bug in the world of podcasts and podcasting. Dopey was a tiny bug. Um, And Chris continued to get he was in school to get a, a Ph.D. in psychology. And I was, you know, you know, slaving away at Katz's and we would we would record the show every week. And then um he started to seem distant. I didn't know what was going on. Like I had no idea. Um, and then one night we we got into this long conversation. He seemed to like be more distant and he started to want to do more episodes on zoom. And I mean, like, and we still hadn't missed a week since we had started. And we were like two years in, two and a half years in. And then I was like, dude, why aren't you coming to record anymore? And meanwhile, he was getting his PhD in psychology. He lived in Boston. You know what I mean? Like him coming to New York was not an easy thing, but he just did it. He was like engaged to get married to this woman uh, who was a med student at Harvard. His life was was big. 
But still, I had a sense that something was wrong. And I had decided it was that he had lost interest in the show. Although his sponsor or his friend who he worked with called me up and he's like, I'm a little bit worried about Chris. And um, around the same time, the guy who actually brought me the heroin when my wife was pregnant, all of a sudden died. He relapsed and he died. And I was devastated because that guy I was I had been very, very close with since I was 18 or something. I had become a heroin addict with him. I lived in Manhattan with him. I lived in Los Angeles with him. I lived upstate with him. And when he died, I was just devastated. So when our mutual friend said, I'm a little bit worried about Chris, I I got really scared. And I called up Chris and we had this long talk. And he's like, I'm not using, I'm not relapsing blah, blah, blah. And I believed him, but he still was a little flaky, but I believed him. Like, you know, when you, when you, know, when you talk to like a parent or a loved one and, and someone totally pulls the wool over their eyes and you're like, how could you have believed that? I was totally that person. And, and one night me and Chris get into this long conversation and he's like crying. Like, it was like, he was fighting with his girlfriend and he was incredibly emotional. And and he was just finished the master's program of his PhD program. And he's like, I, I think I'm going to have more time to record the show. I want to become a PhD, but all I really want to do is do dopey and make it big. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And it was this emotional conversation. And, and this is literally, you know, five years ago. And, and I don't want to tell the story in a weird way. But in the middle of the night, his girlfriend texts me and she's like, I'm really worried about Chris. At, at 6.10 in the morning, I wake up to that text and I text Chris, are you all right? Like, should I be worried about you? He writes me back at 6.11, literally. Like he would write me back immediately, always. And he wrote, he wrote, I'm okay. I'm alive. Not great. I'll call you later. And I was like, okay. And, and, and Linda and I had had our second child at that point. We had bought a house like our, our second child was a, was an infant. She, she was born in, in May and this was in July. And I rem- I mean, it still fucks me up to think about it. Me and Linda took took the baby out, Susan, for a walk with the stroller. And I get a phone call from Chris's girlfriend and he she says he's dead. And uh, and I didn't even believe it, even though I had every reason to believe it. He was a horrible drug addict. Uh, his friend had thought he had relapsed. And I, and Chris had told me his girlfriend was crazy. So I didn't believe it. And me and my wife and our baby are, are taking a walk. And I, I got off the phone with Chris's girlfriend. And I just said to Linda, I was like, that was Annie. She said, Chris is dead. I don't believe her. And I called Chris's sister and he didn't, she didn't call me back. And we, we walked for probably 45 minutes. Uh, and I called a bunch of Chris's friends in Great Barrington, and they didn't believe it. They didn't know. And then his sister called me back, and and he had died that morning right after he had texted me. He had overdosed on fentanyl. And and for whatever reason, the word spread quickly that Chris died. And, And I think anybody that had ever listened to the show, like, all, like, converged and listened to the show. And all of a sudden our audience was bigger and, and they created a dopey nation Facebook page to mourn him. 
because they really felt like they knew him. Uh, he was really open, really funny, smart. He knew addiction and recovery, like backwards and forwards, milligrams. Like he would, he was somebody that was a great conversationalist and, and, and a brilliant mind. And um, it really fucked a lot of people up when he died. I mean, probably me and his family, most of all. His family, like they had been through the ringer with him since he was 12 or something. He he was like uh, smoking crack at, at Little League football, like at age 14 or something. So they had been through the ringer and I'm sure part of them were relieved to know that it didn't have to happen again. But he was coming up on, I think, four and a half years when he died. Right. So it changed the trajectory of the show. It changed the way I looked at what I was doing. And it really just changed my life. Like when I was using, I was using for a million years, no one died. And here within two months of my recovery, uh, two months of my, my, I think I had two and a half years or almost three years then, two of my best friends had died within six weeks. It's like crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, fentanyl's really scary. I, I knew a lot of people that use drugs and only one of them ever OD'd. And he OD'd like seven times before he died. And then he did finally die. But, uh, you know, when I use drugs, the way to get fentanyl was a lollipop. Yeah. You, you couldn't extract it out of the lollipop. You could only stick the lollipop in your mouth and a patch, which you could get the fentanyl out of the patch. And then I remember the, the amount like. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Like a match head would set you up for a while. A match head of, of fentanyl. 
and I just can't imagine having access to to lots of that stuff. Yeah, you know, in in the beginning of it, Chris and I would always talk about how fortunate we were that we got out before there was fentanyl. And then meanwhile, he 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 turns around and he gets it as like as, as whatever happened, he went and got it. And then my dad, I remember because there are so many people in the audience were dying, and my dad was like, "Wow, this fentanyl is really out of control." But I was still in denial about it. And I was like, well, drugs always kill people. But then as the years have gone by, as the months have gone by, and every month somebody is turning up dead, it's so scary. Um, I, we, we, we did a talk with this writer. Um, he wrote Dreamland. Do you know this guy? He's, he's pretty famous. I'm going to have to Google him because I'll lose my mind if I don't remember his name. One second. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I want to know his name too. He's a brilliant writer. His name is. I wish we had an intern who could Google it for us. I wish I did. I I, I have. I. I wish your German your German gal was on Zoom with us and could tell us. This is a perfect job for her. Here it is. Oh yeah 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 yeah. His name is uh, Sam Quinones. And he's this brilliant journalist, and he wrote a book called Dreamland, which was kind of like a heroin addict book and then he wrote this book about fentanyl and the fentanyl book was all about this opportunity that all of these drug dealers had to buy fentanyl so cheap and and become millionaires and not know what they were doing which is why all these deaths happened because they didn't make the dosages properly and then you have all these other kids who think they're buying Xanax and the fentanyl is so much cheaper than even like Alprazolam powder. Like I just did an interview with this guy. His name was Max Marshall. And he wrote a book about a Xanax ring at the college of Charleston, where there were, there was a kid that got shot over the Xanax ring, but it was like two years before fentanyl. So it wasn't like this rash of, of ODs and you know, a Xanax ring in Charleston now is fentanyl and just death. It's it's crazy. It's a horrible time to be a drug user. I think I I completely agree. Go, going back to Chris, I I know a lot of my friends in AA take the kind of point of view because you do wind up losing people at at odd ages. You know when you're when you're sober and around sober people, you you just wind up losing people, and a lot of them really do take and and i don't know if this is like a front that people are putting up like a stoic front or or if it's just a hundred percent sincere because because i don't totally know how to feel but a lot of them really do say like this he's he's his suffering's over there that person's suffering is over is is that how you felt about chris or were you just devastated i didn't i didn't feel like that I don't think I, I was devastated, but I was really angry yeah. uh, and scared. You know, um, it was a lot of loss, you know, between Todd and Chris, it was a lot of loss. And I, I didn't, I, I, to this day, I don't think his suffering is over unless I think more in terms of like the Buddhist kind of idea that life is suffering because I had seen him have so much, so much happiness and so much success. And um, 
you know, that was five years ago that Chris died five years ago last summer. So, and, and every year I've done two to three shows just about Chris. So I've like unearthed every story I can and talked about it so many times that I get almost lost in the conversation, but I've had dreams about him where he shows up and he doesn't know he's dead. I heard from a medium who told me that Chris contacted her and that he had just finally accepted that he was going to go to the go to heaven. And Chris believed in heaven like he was a big afterlife guy. So like that made me feel good that he I mean, like that she that he believed in heaven and she said she saw him ascend to heaven. I'm not a big afterlife person. Um, One night this this medium texted me like late at night with a picture of this spooky reflection in her window. And she's like, I think that's Chris. And I'm like terrified. Um, but I, I didn't think I didn't encounter his using as suffering. He kept it so secret that I had no idea he was doing it. I didn't know that he was suffering after he died. They found, I mean, they had cocaine in his system, fentanyl in his system, Benzos in his system, but they had found um, like a bag of drugs in his car and a pack of cigarettes, which I thought was really interesting, and rubber gloves um, because Chris was such a fucking diabolical, brilliant drug addict. He wore the rubber gloves so that you wouldn't smell the cigarettes on his hand. That's oh, he he was supposedly smober too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow. Right. So like, I I think that he was suffering, but if I, if, if he had lived, and then the other thing was his girlfriend thought he was relapsing. His sister runs a kind of treatment, sober coaching kind of thing where they keep addicts post care, like doing a, a sober link breathalyzer checking in all the time, sometimes doing a, a UA if they have to. And the guy, his guy showed up that night, the night that he died, and he took a drug test and he died that night. And if they had gotten the results the next day, he would have just gone to treatment. You know what I mean? Yeah. So never did I think his suffering is over. I thought, oh, my God, like he he he'd be so upset that this is what happened. Right. You know, he loved he he I think mostly he really loved life. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, it is hard to, um, yeah, I, I've, the whole, their suffering is over for me. I think of somebody with like late stage cancer or AIDS or somebody who's, you know, mentally ill, confined to a bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that works for me. Their suffering is over. But often when I hear their suffering is over with regards to somebody I know, through the program or something like that, I'm often like, I didn't see them suffering a lot. And so that doesn't just solve it. That's not just the riddle that solves my grief. It was the, the thing I heard that was even worse than, than their suffering is over. Like my sponsor had moved to LA and I, I didn't have a sponsor. Um, and I knew I needed one. So I reached out to somebody that I had known in the rooms and I told them what happened. And he said, well, we need to step over dead bodies to stay sober. Yeah. 
And I was like, oh, you know, and he's right. You know what I mean? He's right. But my friend, you know, my best friend, just two of my best friends just died. I don't want to step over their bodies. I want to grieve a bit. Yeah. I want, and I want to, I want to find it. I mean, I guess the point is you got to keep going. Sure. You got to step over them and you got to keep your recovery first, which I believe in those things, but it's just like, come on. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, but I think, but you know, look for me, I go like, that's how that person's dealing with it. That's how they're processing it. And, and it, it can seem crass sometimes, especially, you know, because often the conversation will be about somebody you're not super close with. You just know them from a meeting. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think in that situation, it's easier to step over that body. Yeah. But I think also you're right. It was this guy's process and I'm very soft and, uh, and that's not my go-to and, and, you know, it's still five years later, it's still very weird for me because also the show, right. Like, like within a certain amount of time of Chris's death, uh, this American life, which is this giant, podcast did a show about Chris's death and, and dopey got much bigger, you know, and then we started to get sponsors and, and like, like I had told you, I'd always wanted to do a talk show and now I had a talk show and now my audience had grown and it was on the back of his death. And did you have guests prior to his death or was it just you guys talking? We had guests. He always hated when we had guests though. Um, but I liked having guests and once in a while, like we had, um, we had Artie Lang, who's this comedian from the Howard Stern show. We had, um, Danny Boy O'Connor from house of pain. Uh, and that happened totally randomly. We just had, you know, like then we had a bunch of just drug addicts that we were friends with that would call in and tell crazy stories, but, but mostly Chris died on episode 142 and most of the first 142 episodes are just me and him like kicking it late night. Like we're doing like four shows and by the third one, we're just out of our minds laughing as though we were high, you know? Right. Yeah. Which was really fun and really why I think people like the show because it's like, Oh wait, those guys can be stupid and have fun and be sober. Like that's, that's interesting. Right. Yeah. No, that there, there is, um, there is for sure, even in my own head, there's almost a, a puritanical feeling that I associate with myself towards like any kind of cutting loose, you know, and, and, and this is a, something I hang on my own shoulders and it's like, no, no, I'm allowed to be silly. I can, I can goof off with my kids. I can do all the things that it used to take substances to get me to do. Um, That's interesting to me. So where, so like, cause you came and did dopey yeah. and you were amazing on the show. Thank super you. funny, super open. We're willing to get silly. Yeah, for sure. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a part of me that's like, uh, you got to always walk the line straight and narrow and and like i i think it's i think it's from the 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 amount of 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 inhibition that was relieved when i did drugs like i went from being really introverted to like feeling like there was no attention on myself at all utterly extroverted and i don't know 
sometimes now I have to remind myself that fun does not only coexist with substances or whatever, you know, gluttony. Yeah, exactly. Manic sensation makes me think the only thing that could enhance this is a pizza, you know, like those things are not always true. Like I can get silly and joke around. You know, I, I actually force myself to do it sometimes with my kids in public where it's like embarrassing them right now would be fun. Maybe if I skip through the mall, this will be pure joy for me to watch how miserable it makes them. And so I'll do something silly like that. But like, I really have to force myself to do that. Whereas I used to play follow the leader through New York with my friends when I was high on dope and I didn't care about anybody else. Like it never I never thought about it, you know? I think that's very interesting. So like, if you need, like, obviously if you skip through the mall with your kids or you do something that, cause I love to embarrass my, my, my kids too, but I live, I, I don't know how I could live. Not silly. Like I have the heart. I'm so uncomfortable getting serious. Like being an adult is not, a hundred percent comfortable for me, which is something I'm really kind of working on. Like, I think we could use, a, I think we could, we could use a lot of, yeah, uh, we could, yeah. we could rub off on each other. We could swap a little, you know, I, I don't think I am innately serious. I think that I, <clears throat> when I became a father, I was so not set up for it. I, um, that I, that I almost thought of it as like, what should a father do? Okay, now I'm just going to pretend and do that, what I think a responsible father should do. And so I like kind of created this persona. And it's also like, you know, I think about people who, who I assume aren't constantly battling the voices in their head about stopping at the drive-through or driving, you know, down to the section of town where people hang out on corners and and like those thoughts just aren't occurring to them. So then I go like, well, how does that person behave in life? I'm just going to create a facsimile of that and behave in that way. Um, because I am constantly kind of having this inner dialogue that is like an idea. Nope, that's not the right idea. Find the right idea. Okay, that idea is good. I'm going to go with that idea. You know, that keeps me going in the direction I want to be going in. I love that. I wish I, I was doing a little bit more of that. Um, I, I really do. Like it reminds me of uh, I was a big comic book nerd when I was a kid. And it reminds me of like the inner dialogue monologue that Bruce Banner would have not to get upset. Stay, stay. OK, so he doesn't turn into the Hulk and destroy a city yeah. or something. I, I tend to like I still act without thinking fairly often i react without really considering what's going to happen i mean I i'm sober uh eight years eight years have changed now i've never we never missed a week of the show and eight, i mean we're up to like 440 episodes or something i i but i i i would like to be a little bit more measured in my response a little bit more organized in my day and a little bit more thoughtful in my plan like yeah. I, I, I'm like, that's why I want to do this couch to 5k. It could be the answer to my problems. The couch to 5k sounds awesome. I'm amazed that they have an app for that. And it just tells you what to do every day, how to build onto it to get to the 5k. I did one day, Ethan, just let's be clear about this. Okay. <laughs> I did one day 
and uh, and I walked my dog at the same time. Okay, and that's that's you know problem number one. You probably shouldn't do that. So so day one of app of couch to five k, you you walk for five minutes, and I could walk all day. Like I could walk for thirty miles. I mean, like I'm a walker. So you walk for five minutes, and it's like okay, you will start running in three, two, one, and then you run for a minute, and the dog runs me. Oh my god! Run for a minute. You know, not crazy. And then they and and then like 10 seconds before you're supposed to stop, they said, okay, in 10, 9, 8, okay, you walk. And then you walk for a minute and a half. And then the, the lady says, You're gonna run. So you basically run for six minutes out of the half hour with the intervals. And I don't do anything. So they and then they tell you to take the next day off. Now, my wife, my beautiful, sweet, loving wife, wants to do this with me which is a recipe for it never happening. And when I told her that I did the first day without her, she got really angry at me, which Ooh. made me not do it again. Right. So I'm starting over. I'm not going to tell her. This is going to be my new my new secret life, couch to 5K. No one has to know. Yeah. But I'm going to be 50. Uh, on Ju- If I live to June 1st, I will be 50. And I want to do the 5K. I want to be the fittest I've ever been at 50 because I've never been fit. I've never, this is the, I've never been close. Like, yeah. Never. Yeah. F- uh, fuck. I might get this app. I might start to fuck around with this app because I can't, I cannot run. And I wonder if I actually trained to run, I would be able to run. Well, I would love for you to do it. And I would love to compare notes. And I would love to force you to call into Dopey periodically to talk about your experience with yeah. Couch to 5K. Couch to 5K. Okay, maybe we'll do it together. I'll download the app and look at it. Maybe when do you start next? I mean, I'm re- I'm ready to fucking do this thing, man. I'm crazy. I'm I'm like ready to to tomorrow. I, I, I'm ready to start Thursday. Are you al- <laughs> Are you allowed to uh, run on a treadmill? Yes. Mm-hmm. That might that might be the that might be the the cincher for me. That might that might just do it because I and go then, between Florida and New York, and and Florida right now it's fine, but you know there's going to be times where it's just inhumane to run outside. Come May, it will be doing the five k in in New York. We could do that, or we could. I mean, like there's a five k. I was invited to run in Vermont. That I'm really? interested. What in, part of Vermont? I don't know. There's some rehab that is run by the Fish guitar player Trey Anastasio, and he they do some 5K, and they asked me if I would do it, and I'm like, no way. But if I actually could run a 5K, I would I would do it. And and but if you were interested in doing a 5K, I would find one in New York and do it with you. Well, I I just want to say to be completely transparent, I have run a 5K. And, I appreciate transparency. And this was at the absolute peak of my cardio health where, where I could get on a bicycle and ride 150 miles, no problem. And I went and did the Livestrong 5K in Austin, Texas. And it kicked my ass so bad. Dave. 5K. Oh my god. Yeah. It, it it wasn't didn't fuck me up cardio wise. Just like my body was like what the fuck did you just do? We don't do that. My back hurt, my legs hurt. It it like trashed me. So I'm I just wonder if like 
I'm sure I can run for a minute. I mean, I can do I can do a rowing machine for an hour right now. I should be able to run for a minute without damaging myself if that's the way I progress and ease into actually being able to. Anyway, all I'm saying is let's try it and see what happens. I can run for six minutes on Thursday. Dude, I ran for six minutes on Saturday and it, I was it hurt a little bit. It hurt yeah. my shins. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like my shins were like, what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. You're scaring me a little bit. But I think that if I do the app, they say 5K. This is what I'm saying. I'm hopeful that we, by taking the day off and then going back to it and and in, increasing very incrementally, I'm hopeful I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful that we can run a little bit without really hurting ourselves. I want to go back to something you said when you were talking about, and and then I know I we got to get off soon. We've been talking forever. Okay, real quick. You were talking about setting a goal for, what was the date? You're, for the Dopey Fest, and you weren't eating, and Halloween candy, and you weren't eating desserts and sweets leading up to it and carbs and getting ready. Do you ever feel like Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com if, if you set a sobriety goal of like, I'm going to stay sober until th this day, that day comes, you're de I would definitely be using the next day. When, when I used to do that, I got to stay sober through this weekend because I got a big meeting. The weekend's over, I'm using for sure. And when, when I would set a goal of like, I got to just lose 100 pounds, I'd lose 100 pounds and then I'm immediately gaining weight back. Do you feel like those kind of goals actually fuck you up? I don't know. You know, the, the truth is that I never could get limited clean time. I never could be like, I'm going to get sober this week. Like I never did. I never got any time until, I mean, I guess I white knuckled that, that 10 month period, but that was strictly to, to get custody of my baby. Like they were, well, and that's what I'm saying. That's the goal. Right. I got to stay sober until, right. I got to get 12 months so I can give a, a hair follicle test and, and pass, which I right. did. 
and now I don't consider it. Like I don't, I, I'm just not ready to make the commitment to, to no dessert for life. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so, I like, I, I could, even the idea, I, I, I hear where you're going with it and the idea is no, I'm not, a, I'm listen, you cannot be abstinent from food. This is not right in, in the realm of possibility. So we have a whole different set of paradigms to work for. All I would offer you is what about fruit? Fruit can be a good dessert. What about, you know, I'm just saying trading out the Entenmann's cake or, you know, they've got low calorie ice creams. It's not as good, but you get used to it. Yeah, no, we um, do those, you know, those Yasso yogurt. Yeah. Cups, delicious. They're great. Delicious. 100 calorie. Like I haven't gotten real ice cream, like a real pint of ice cream. And I don't even remember. And I haven't enjoyed my overindulgence in Entenmann's in, in forever. But dude, I, 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 I eat cereal out of the box with chocolate chips. It's as though you're eating a cake. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the way I snack. There was a there was an old Simpsons episode where Homer like is getting ready to watch the Super Bowl and he's surrounded by food and he's like and that's that's how I am at night and in any yeah. night I, I'm yeah. in the cabinet I'm eating chocolate and cereal and then I eat a yogurt pop you know like right. and I, that's the healthy you're like I'm full but I need something else I'll do the healthy option. What I want, what I want, I mean, it's like with drugs and alcohol, there is no moderation for me. So there's only abstinence. But like you just said, we can't abstain from eating. So what I need to do, I, I know there are strategies. Like I need to add a lot of water to my night. I feel like if I drank a bunch of water beforehand, I need to practice mindfulness. Frankly, I don't even know when I'm full. I just eat. Yeah. Yeah. Water at night is an issue for me because then I'm up all night peeing. It messes with my sleep. I don't like that. Mindfulness. Mindfulness, honestly, the word infuriated me for years and years and years. And then I started really thinking about everything I was doing and I realized, oh, I'm just doing mindfulness. The word is not so bad. Um, you know, but and now when people get upset about the word diet or calorie, I'm like, I understand why it's upsetting, but like, if you just perceive it differently, if you take a different point of view on it, if you change your perspective on it, if you use it clinically, it's it's a useful word. Um, I'm not against any word. Like I'm not like I'm not again. I don't. I didn't love mindfulness. I didn't love wellness. I didn't love a lot of words. But now I just want quality of life. And like when I eat, I think I'm eating for quality of life. It's yeah. just the it's it's eating for the moment instead of for for the day, you know, it's eating right. for, or instead of for the life. And, and I, I just need to try to shift it. And I, and I, I don't try as hard as I should. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, everything's a work in progress, Dave, this has been lovely. Thank you so much. I am going to download the couch to 5k app and we will discuss where we go from here. I'll, I'll, I think I'm on a plane Thursday, but I will find a treadmill. I always think I'm too heavy for those, but I might not be anymore. Maybe I'm not too heavy for a treadmill. I have no um, idea. I have no idea either. But I'll, I'll, you know, worst case scenario, I'm running outside for six minutes. Dude, I'm excited that you're excited at this idea. I am excited because I do feel like being able to run a bit shouldn't be beyond my reach. I don't have any desire to run a marathon, but a little bit of running. And I'm just like... 
you know, I do, I have some knee issues and some hip issues and stuff like that, but I should be able to run a bit. Can I ask a stupid question before we go? Sure. Yeah. Why wouldn't you, I mean, like you're so interested in fitness and pushing your body. I'm surprised you have no interest in running a marathon. Oh yeah. I have no interest at all, but I will zero. Well, I'll tell you why. Um, because the 5k fucked me up so bad. And, and this was at a time where I could do heavy cardio all day long. So it wasn't, it wasn't that I was unable to perform. I could perform. I, I, I could, my, I could push my body. It was the structure of running just was so bad that it like, it, it fucked me up for a couple of weeks. Um, and so I've just never gone back to it. See, I think this week was the New York City Marathon, and I was in New York. I was in Manhattan yesterday, and all these fucking Europeans are walking around with their medals. They're looking all fit and tan with their medals. And I, I've never had any interest in running a marathon, except wouldn't that be so cool if I ever ran a marathon and a medal and I was all fit and tan and shit? Where I want you to do it. I saw some social media stuff from the New York marathon and I was actually a little bit envious. I just wish I had been there to like cheer people on. You're a wonderful person, Ethan. You really are. Yeah. And talking to you is a joy. You're a very wonderful person to talk to. So thank you for, well, thank you for having me. I enjoy you too. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right, Ethan. Thanks, man. And now for the Q&A. Here's a question from Jim. Hi, Jim. I'm 53 years old and I've been overweight since my second year of marriage of 34 years. I was always able to keep it within 30 to 60 pounds overweight. I've taken off 50 pounds and put it right back on more times than I can count. I've been 100 pounds overweight for the past four years. I've recently shifted from fad diets to just a plain, heart, healthy, reduced fat and calorie diet and moving a little more. I am seeing the needle move in a positive direction. My question is this, how often should a person weigh themselves? I've heard daily, I've heard never, I've heard weekly and all sorts of other answers. I weigh myself daily now just to keep from getting anxiety, dreading it. I do get discouraged when I don't see the needle move. Can you share your approach that worked for you? Yes, this is a great question. I would I would stay away from anything that gives you anxiety about weighing yourself, especially if you're being consistent. Uh, if you there, there's no telling from one day to the next what's going to have an effect on the scale. You can have there could be more sodium, and sodium could make you hold more water. Carbohydrates make you hold a lot of water. I think they actually make you hold like four times the amount of water that sodium makes you hold. So like without gaining or losing any fat, there can be huge fluctuations on the scale. When people do keto the first week, you can lose like 10 pounds. Most of that is water. That's not all fat. So I, I, you know, I don't, love weighing myself every day. I, when I was doing a, right now I weigh myself maybe once a week. And when I was doing a, um, like a really very structured cut to take a picture of myself with my shirt off, I would weigh myself twice a week. I would weigh myself on Mondays and Fridays. And 
and that was okay. And, and I, you know, I'd have to talk myself through it. When I weigh myself on maintenance, it's the most bizarre thing because I am living my life intentionally keeping my weight the same. And when I get on the scale and there's no, and it hasn't gone down, it bums me out. So there's some cognitive dissonance there where I know I, I like expect it not to go down. I'm not doing anything that would make it go down. And when it's the same, it's, it's upsetting to me. So, you know, if, if you have anxiety about the scale, you can, you can get rid of the scale entirely. You can start measuring yourself and then, you know, take a measure, a new measurement of yourself once a week or something like that and totally get rid of the scale. Um, fat loss will be evident in your measurements. There will be a change there. Um, it, it, you know, it might not mean the same to you as a pound on the scale, like seeing a number that's less, but the measurement itself should go down if you're losing fat and that way you could avoid the scale. But like the scale is just a, a, a metric that I try to use in the most rational way possible. And sometimes my, my, my um, emotional side gets the better of me. And, and then I tell that uh, uh, those emotions to shut the hell up and <laughs> I try to move on with my day, you know, but there's those, those kind of things. I also don't take any single weight any longer as defining of what I'm doing. I, I look at a two week span and go, has my weight increased or de decreased over these two weeks? And when I'm maintaining, I do the same because I'll get on the scale once a week now, and sometimes it'll be up a pound or two or three, and sometimes it'll be down a pound or two or three. But over the course of a couple of weeks, is it where I want it to be, or is it going up or is it trending down? Um, and you can do that over whatever period of time you want, you know, over the course of a year, that might be too much, especially if you're dieting, dieting with the intention of losing weight, you might want to do like, what's the monthly trend, get on the scale once a week or get on the scale twice a week and literally graph it out. Is it, is that graph trending up or trending down? And that's really all you want to do. And for me, it's a huge kind of breakthrough to be able to maintain my weight. This is something I was never capable of doing. I was either, you know, on some extreme diet and losing weight rapidly or gaining weight. That's it. That's all I really knew. Every time I weighed myself at a doctor's office when I was young um, or, or not, I was gaining weight. And then when I was dieting, you know, really extremely, I was losing weight. And then when I wasn't, when I was dieting and not losing weight, it was like this huge disaster. So like, you got to get rid of all of that and just like, be realistic with yourself. How much weight should you be losing every week on the diet you're on? A pound or a pound and a half. That's what all the research suggests, you know, unless you're 500 pounds and you can lose more than that. But like, you know, if you, if you don't have hundreds of pounds to lose, the average is a pound and a half a week. Like that's really good weight loss. And so if you look at a month, have you done that? Have you lost a pound and a half? A, then you're killing it. You don't need to get on the scale every week. 
I mean, every yeah. day. Sorry, every day. Right. But right. you don't need to get on the scale at all. You could take measurements to track it. That's a good reminder, too, because, I mean, I know from my own personal so many diets and things where we, we don't think about that as much. We get so stuck on the scale, but yeah, you could measure yourself and go, Oh, that's cause that's also very satisfying. And it's also a metric for how you're actually doing. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and for, for me, honestly, I, I like it for the purpose of if I get on the scale and it started trending up, then I just have to get really honest with myself. What have I been doing? Have I added, some sauces? Have I, have I stopped measuring my olive oil? What have I been doing that it's trending up? And, and usually I can spot it and go, Oh, I've, you know, there's, there's this drink that has 50 calories that I wasn't drinking before. You know, this is just a total hypothetical. And now I'm, I'm drinking those and I'm not really counting them. And so that's, you know, having some effect on me, I should stop doing that you know, what, yeah. whatever it is. Thank you for that. And thank you for the question. If anyone else has a question, you know what? Don't be shy. Send it to us. We'd love to hear it. And Ethan would love to answer it. I hello. sure would. <laughs> you can email us at hello at americanglutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.